This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I host this show. This series of the podcast is entirely devoted to the sport of cricket and I'm sitting down with a number of players, both past and present, to talk to them about their lives and their careers. But notably, I am talking to them about their vulnerabilities and times when they have struggled in their careers to inspire you, the listener, to understand what it means to be headstrong and learn a little bit more about these fantastic people. This series, I am supporting the wonderful Ruth Strauss Foundation. To donate £10, please text RSF10 to 70191. This series is also being sponsored by the fantastic McGill and Partners and Ascot Group. Some more on them later in the podcast. Now, on this episode of Headstrong, I sat down with Sam Billings. We had a chat a couple of months ago prior to his recent news of being called up to the England Test Team about his cricketing life and what he has gone through to date. We talked about his time spent on the sidelines due to injury, being in and out of teams, as well as his mentality and approach to the game. So I really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. Sam, thank you very, very much for joining me on Headstrong. I appreciate it. How's it all going? Yeah, very well. Thanks for having me. Um, 
yeah honored to be on here mate so uh, uh, yeah looking forward to having a good chat well of course we are talking uh, um around around the the days of the news that you have been uh, selected to be going back out to india which is very very exciting uh are you pleased with the news of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah um look, i i think yeah of course you're always pleased when you're when you're being picked in an England squad. I think my performances over the last year or so have kind of um, shown where my kind of hard work has, um, I've, I've kind of had something to show for the hard work and um, misery of injury that I'm sure we'll get on to. Um, but it is lo- it's great to be back in that England fold and in, in a fantastic side. Um, one of the best teams in the world at the moment, especially in white ball cricket. So um to be in that side, it's it's a hell of a lot of effort, but uh, I'm really looking forward to kind of cementing my spot in that. So uh, I'm in the squad, but it's just getting into the final eleven. That's that's the next day. Of course it is. Uh, but again, it's all about um, the the, the fir- first things first. The first goals. So tick tick the box for the squad, and once you're out there, well, you, I'm sure you'll get get down to it. I mean, as you say though, England is full jam-packed of incredible cricketers at the moment and whilst that is fantastic for us as a nation it proves difficult for the individual uh as you say there's plenty of people on uh, knocking on the door of the squad as well but you're in a magnificent magnificent place right now fortunately in your career but you know selection is always a challenging issue do you ever have concerns prior to um the selection because of course you must hear before the press release you know someone gives you a call as to as, as to your selection are ever those 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 anxious concerns about selection certainly i used to be a lot more um kind of before last year i was very much more on the fringes of the squad so um you're kind of waiting until you get that call um am i going to be in it am i not um and i think that's the toughest thing with any sport actually is when you're kind of on those fringe Fringe places. Um, yeah, just the uncertainty. I mean, this whole situation with COVID, what's the biggest thing that stresses stresses people out throughout the situation is the uncertainty and not knowing. So it's exactly the same principle when it comes to selection or, or anything, uh, any job for that matter. Um, it's the uncertainty. So uh, that's, that's the pleasing thing for me is that my performances have, have put me into a place currently that, Actually, I, I should ha- have a lot of confidence um, and actually be confident to be picked in the squad. I've done enough to warrant my place, if that makes sense. Um, so my mindset's changed slightly. I don't take it for granted at all. Um, that's the last thing I'd, I'd want to do. But um, that's, that's the most pleasing thing for me is that my mindset has changed around that. And absolutely, I deserve to be in that squad. And um, I, I look forward to hopefully, like I said, progress to to be a centre part of that that squad. I mean, um, the competition is there and and any competition within any squad uh, brings the ba- best out of people. So I think that's a, a brilliant positive for me, but also for everyone in, involved as well. Do you thrive off that little competition in the squad then? You have to. I mean, anyone who's top level of, of any job, um, if you don't like com- competition and confrontation when it comes to things like that, I think, <laughs> yeah, um, you're, you'll, you'll be found out. So, um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm probably the most competitive man you'll ever talk to. So, uh, yeah, something I, I definitely thrive off. Absolutely. So what do you think about uh, players in general then getting their, their fair chance? Because I, I look at the, the prime example of 
county cricket and international cricket. And if you take runs and take wickets in county cricket, it still doesn't necessarily to this day mean you get that opportunity at international level. So where, where, who, who, you know, where do you stand on that, that fair chance to get that next step up into international cricket? Um, life's not fair. <laughs> Life isn't fair. I mean, some people get more opportunity than others. That's just a fact. Um, look, I'm not a selector. Um, I don't envy people being in those kind of selection positions as well. I, I do have to do that from time to time. Um, obviously, down at Kent, I have to make tough decisions. And and yeah, if if you're if you're having to make tough decisions, that means you've got a hell of, have a hell of a lot of very good players around, um, which is great. But yeah. I think coming back to the um, playing aspect, for me as a player, um, it works itself out in the end kind of thing. If you if you put the hard yards in consistently over time, yes, for some players it might take two months to break in. Other players it might take 10 years. Um, but eventually I think you get what you kind of deserve. Um, and it comes down to that individual at the end of the day, how much they really want it. If you get knocked back once, uh, are you going to come again? Are you going to keep coming back? That's what the best players do in any sport. And uh, I think that's the most important thing, certainly how I view it, is that, yeah, I might not get a run of games of 10, 15 games where I can just go out and play. Uh, I might make, have to make the most out of an opportunity of two, three games in a row and uh, just grab it with both hands. And um, that's, that's reality, unfortunately. So uh, I, I think it's just... It's just having perspective as well. That's the biggest thing is um, you're going to get knockbacks, as I said, and um, it's kind of picking yourself back up and, and putting it all in perspective. And um, and it, it's asking inwardly if you really want it that badly. Um, it comes down to you. You can't kind of portion blame onto anyone else. It comes down to you at the end of the day and taking absolute responsibility is, is something that I look to do anyway. And um, you can't blame anything else. Of course. You, a word that I picked up on there is certainly that you like to use, consistency. And I know that to stay at the top level and in the international game, you have to be a consistent player and delivering performances in, you know, day in, day out. But it's not just necessarily a consistent performance on the pitch. You've got to have a consistent mindset. So what, what can you do to maintain that consistency and level-headedness to kind of stay at that top level? Everything comes down to mindset at the end of the day. Um some of the best players ever to play the game don't necessarily have the most amount of talent. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't correlate, I suppose. Um, some people don't make the most out of their talent, but others do. And that comes down to their, to their mental psyche, I suppose. So, um, it's something that I have invested in, uh, away, away from cricket, um, quite consistently over the last certainly five, five, six years. Um, and it's something, I mean, we invest so much into our diet, into our physical training, into our skills practice, everything. But I mean, there's countless quotes and cliches that get thrown about in different sports that uh, it comes down to your mindset and um, kind of the space in between your ears. And it is so true. Um, but there's still this kind of um, this thought process or this taboo, I suppose, around um, athletes investing in their mental well-being. Uh, I think it is changing, which is great, um, as you can attest to better than anyone. But 
Um, I think it has to change because the game is played in between your head. Um, the best players deal with pressure better. What does that come down to? It doesn't come down to your physiology. Um, it comes down to, like I said, your mindset. So um, for me, I find it incredibly interesting and something that I've, like I said, in, invested in um, time and energy into it um, in terms of self-awareness and, and various other things as well. I mean, you're, you're an incredibly ambitious individual, Sam. And I, I want to talk to you about test, test cricket itself as well, because I know that, you know, this is, a, this is now another aim of yours. How, how do you approach, you know, be, being a white ball cricketer and, and, and wanting to get into a test squad? What, what's your approach to that? You know, both, you know, playing wise, but also mentally as well. How, how do you approach that with that as an aim? Or is that just one of your many aims? Because of course, you just want to be the best player you can possibly be. But your aim is also to be in one of these teams. So what, what, what's your approach to that? Yeah, it's a really good question because I think that's one of the biggest challenges for uh, young players. Well, I say young, I'm not, I'm not very young anymore, unfortunately. But I think any any cricketer nowadays, there's so many different options um, in terms of cricket around the world. We look at the IPL, we look at various franchise tournaments. I mean, there's more cricket on the TV than football at the moment, which is great to see. Um, but so for me, look, I've got to look at, I've looked at it from various different aspects, short-term, medium-term, long-term. Um, after my injury about 18 months ago, the only cricket really I played that year, I played a couple, a handful of 2020 games, but was four-day cricket and, and actually did really well towards the end of the season, um, scored three hundreds in a row. Um, and for me, that was a turning point in my own head that actually I could have the game to step up um, and play test cricket and, and kind of have that ambition. Obviously, you always want to, but before you actually do it to kind of prove to yourself more than anyone else um, that you might have the capability, that, that, like I said, that was a big turning point for me uh, against Nottinghamshire and, the, oh, well, Ravi Ashwin was playing for them and then I, I scored two in a game at, um, at Yorkshire against, you know, at Headingley against Yorkshire. Um, which was very pleasing because everyone likes beating Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> but like you said, that that proved to me that I could have um, the game to kick on and, and play test cricket. Um, but then on the flip side of that, I'm involved obviously in the white ball squads um, and moving forward, there's a 2020 World Cup at the end of this year. So I think that's where as a player, you have to prioritise certain things. For me at the moment, my focus is on um, playing in the 2020 World Cup um, and being involved as much as I can in, in that white ball format. If that means that I I have to um, sacrifice a bit of red ball cricket for Kent along the way to get into a World Cup, then I, that's the decision I've made. And whether people agree with it or not, that's that's the decision that I feel is the best chance for me playing for England, in, certainly in the next 12 months. Um, I missed out on a home World Cup. Uh, we obviously won. Um, and look, for me, I want to make up for lost time and, and, and be involved in that. So, yeah, that's how you've got to look at it is, is prioritise different things. And over time, after the 2020 World Cup, we'll see where things lie. Um, and actually, yeah, I might switch my focus to... So looking at really prioritising Red Bull cricket and, and, and so forth. So it's a really difficult one. It, there's no right or wrong answer. No. I think that's the key thing now. Um, 
I think the perception's changed, or it is certainly changing, that, of course, Test cricket is the ultimate. It always has been. But actually, there's no wrong answer in, in a young player, say, 19 or 21-year-old Tom Banton. And I've had this conversation with him, is it's up to you at the end of the day. If you want to play white ball cricket and be the best white ball cricketer that um, England's ever had, absolutely go for it because the opportunities in the white ball arena are huge. Um, test cricket isn't necessarily the ultimate for every single individual. And that's where we're so lucky that the opportunities around now um, can kind of cater to, to all different characters, all different personalities. Um, so, so yeah, it's a really interesting one. The purists, of course, will say, no, you've got to focus on test cricket. But I, I genuinely don't agree with that. Um, I think it's so individual and, and that's open, open to them only, really. So with your ageing, you, you've become more, more keen on the test cricket. <laughs> um, I've always been keen on test cricket, but the way my career has kind of panned out uh, so far, the opportunities I've always mm. got have been in the white ball arena. And look, there's only probably two, three cricketers, Stokes, Butler and Joffre at the moment, who are playing all three formats. And we've seen, obviously, Joss is missing the last three test matches to prioritise then a, a white ball tour to India. Uh, after that, but that so, necess- wasn't necessarily out of choice, though. Um, no, not necessarily. But for the well-being of, of course. players, yeah. there's a realization that there has to be uh, some give or take somewhere. Um, and with a T20 World Cup at the end of this year, that's obviously the priority. So it's just a quite an interesting conversation to have, really. Um, and like I said, there's no right or wrong answer, and. Um, is is very very individual, definitely. So we, with with that, the World Cup on the horizon. Then, as you talk, that's definitely one of your aims, one of the big aims, probably of of the ECB. Truth, truth be told, what do you anticipate your role to be in it then, or what do you want to, your role to be? And I'm sure you're envisioning a magnificent final with SB up on the up on the uh, the big screen delivering the run. <laughs> oh well, I need no, I need to perform. So so for me and we'll probably come on to this a little later, but I've always, um, certainly as a younger player, maybe I think it's very natural as a young player is, is you get ahead of yourself. You look too far forward. For me, my focus is on India. Um, I had a relatively good big bash in the middle order. Uh, that's a role that I've made pretty public that I want to make my own in the England team as well. Um, kind of that middle order role is one that has far less competition and, and, and something that I have played consistently for a long time and um, pretty well. So that's the role I want to make my own. Uh, that's my focus. And, and like I said, it's kind of getting through India, performing well um, when, whenever I get the opportunity there. And, um, and then we go from there, really. Of course, that's the long-term aim, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And, um, and as, we, as we already mentioned, the, the, competition around the England side you can't rest up you can't get ahead of yourself it is um it is so competitive that you've got to consistently perform and not look too far ahead if we can then let's uh, let's rewind then back back to your your school days and, and even your introduction to cricket I mean it, it seems to me that it might be impossible for you to even remember a life where you didn't play cricket I mean it's certainly been a part of you and your family forever yeah, sport, uh, full stop, really, uh, since since I could walk. Um, 
a golf club got chucked into my hand or a cricket bat or football or whatever. So, um, yeah, just a sport mad family. Um, incredibly lucky with the, with the upbringing I had in terms of uh, school sport, but also the family environment in which I grew up in. Um, always encouraging, always just keen for me to try out whatever I could. Um, so, yeah, just very, very kind of thankful for that grounding um and that starting point especially with cricket you have mentioned before that actually even in your school cricketing days you kind of said that to yourself that you didn't think i was rubbish i didn't want i didn't want to say it but you know you've, you've previously not been very complimentary of your own abilities we'll put it that way no um, I, I think it's being realistic to be honest uh, back in the day i, I just wasn't I, I didn't grow till I was probably 17 years old. So that kind of really um, kind of put a break on things, I suppose. And yeah, uh, initially I, w- I just wasn't very good as you alluded to. But no, but what I was saying was though, but you, you were in some great performance development teams in the under 16s and under 18s. So what I really wanted to ask you was, was this actually ability or did this come back down to self-doubt? Because you were in the right teams and certainly in the right places and the right dressing rooms. But was it actually yourself, you know, d- doubting your own abilities? Because you seem to be playing it down when actually other people were believing in you. Um, I, I mean, throughout the, those kind of squads, I, I was still on the fringes very much on the fringes. And though I had a good technique throughout. I, I couldn't hit the ball off the square. I simply wasn't uh, strong enough kind of to start off with until I had that kind of growth spurt. So um, all the way through, I just, yeah, I, I kind of had the technique. I just didn't score the weight of runs that um, that other people did. And I wasn't, I was never that kid at school that was kind of talked up to be the next big thing. I was never that kid. I was just the kid who just absolutely loved sport um, in kind of every sport. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's a really good learning curve for me, just realising that people develop at completely different stages. The best mm. players for me, and I'm sure you are the same, whether it be at school or in county stuff or whatever, the best players at 15 aren't the best players now. They're not even still playing in the professional game, most of them. Um, mm. I, I say that because... Um, we laughed actually the other day. I sent Ruti a message, horrendous name drop there. I apologize, but <laughs> I said, I sent him a message. I, we're the same age. Um, we've grown up kind of since the age of 12, 13, playing, playing against and with each other. So I sent him a message going, I said, the, the times have changed a lot. You played a hundred test matches and we've come a long way since, uh, since we were 12 years old, two foot tall. And we were both the smallest by a country mile. And uh, he somewhat kicked on more than I have. But um, it's just, I think that's a really positive message for a lot of kids that kind of always, we, nature of comparison always as, as children is that, okay, he's better than me, he's not, whatever. But actually there's no kind of straight line to development. Um, some people develop, develop it a lot later. Um, rate than than others and like I said the best players actually probably do develop slightly later um, than most which is a shame though at school though because then the 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 kind of the coaches and so forth certainly devote more energy to the people that do have the ability there and then 
because that's ultimate. I know that that might be a biased approach, um, but the best you know, coaches can hand pick that talent that mm. isn't ready now. It's ready later. That's. I mean, I think that's the biggest talent as a coach um, is talent identification. That's the hardest job. I mean, Tom Brady is the epitome of mm. that, really, isn't he? Um, when he got drafted, he got told he couldn't throw, couldn't run, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. And seven Super Bowls later, he proved quite a few people wrong. So I think it's, yeah, that, that's that's the positive kind of story, I think, for for a lot of kind of a, um, inspi- yeah, inspiring kind of sports. For many people, cricket, you know, it doesn't boil down to the winning necessarily. And particularly at school, people certainly used it as, as you know, a form of escapism I suppose but also a form of enjoyment and, and time to spend with your with your friends and and I know cricket for me is just a magnificently social sport and there's not many other sports you know where you can get to the middle and actually end up chatting to the opposition in between balls or even overs you know I mean isn't is that something that's so important about the game particularly at the grassroots level and just at school level that it's actually just far more social than than in most sports to be honest yeah, and so many different lessons as well. Uh, cricket's so unique, unique in that obviously it's got the team element, but also the individual kind of responsibility and accountability aspect as well. You've got to pull your own weight individually for the benefit of a, of a team. And um, I think that kind of complexity is just great for any kind of human being developing. Um, uh, yeah, that's the great thing. You, you, we've all made some unbelievable good friends, unbelievably good friends uh, throughout school, and not necessarily kicked on with their cricket, but through cricket and club cricket, um, the friendships you can make are, are phenomenal. And, and that even extends further to even guys in my position right now is that we played in all different teams around the world, and we've got friends all around the world now, um, mm. and it's an incredible opportunity and. Um, yeah, I mean, very grateful for that, that I can call a lot of people friends in, in different countries all around the world, just purely down to cricket. This series is brought to you by two magnificent sponsors, Ascot Group and McGill and Partners. Ascot Group is a global speciality insurance and reinsurance group with a record of underwriting excellence and superior claims service. Founded in 2001, the company provides a broad range of property and casualty solutions to customers worldwide through its platforms in London, Bermuda and the United States. Ascot is a long-standing supporter of charities with a link to sport, including ongoing sponsorship of the Great Britain Wheelchair Rugby Club. With a recent increase in mental health awareness, the company is particularly proud to support Headstrong Season 5 and Innings With, which focuses on the psychological well-being challenges that arise from professional sports. McGill & Partners is a boutique insurance broker, helping corporate clients find specialist solutions for their most challenging and complex risks. Growing rapidly since its launch in 2019, the company operates in the UK, Europe and the United States and prides itself on working with some of the biggest companies in the world. And you can find out more on their website, mcgillpartners.com. McGill and Partners understands high performance and the mental health challenges that can be associated with it, regardless of the industry people are working in. The company is fully committed to their employees' well-being 
and are delighted to be sponsoring the Headstrong podcast series. It is also delighted to support the Ruth Strauss Foundation. Thank you to these two wonderful sponsors. Obviously, you've got, obviously would have made a lot, a lot of friends at school and then throughout your, your career as well. Do you ever get that odd call up, you know, from one of your, maybe your old school chums and just go, look, I've got a game. Would you just fancy making an appearance? And do you, have you ever taken up the offer? Um, I do get the odd, odd call. Um, I don't take people up on it, if I'm honest. Uh, it's just unfair. I, no, it's not unfair. It's just, <laughs> it's more, again, it's it's now, I mean, yeah, it's just a tough one, really. Um, at the end of the day, it's my job mm, now. Mm-hmm. That's, that's another way to look at it, is that this is a job. Um, and, 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 yeah, when when that kind of mindset changes from actually this is my uh, passion uh, that I've just enjoyed as a kid. Um, it, there was definitely a point when um, I think certainly when I was playing international cricket, started playing international cricket and then um, IPL stuff and franchise stuff is that realizing certainly the franchise world actually even more so is that actually we're paid to do a job. I'm signed purely by a franchise for runs and catches and, and stumpings. Um, yeah, if you don't perform, that's, that's what you're being paid for. So um, that kind of romance idea around playing it as just a great kind of walk in the park with your mates on a, on a Saturday at club cricket, yeah, it kind of it, it changes quite quickly, actually, um, which, which is a really good thing if you, if you learn how to... Um, kind of have that perspective as well when it doesn't go too well or it or if it does go well it's kind of just taking a step back and, and not making it the be all and end all as well um, so, when, so when did cricket seem like uh, the realistic option to pursue as a job and a career you know the day when you could go right this really is going to go from hobby to career and i know that it's not necessarily a flick of a switch and it is progressive steps but yeah. was there a moment when you realized that this is this is the opportunity that i need to take and seize and pursue this as a career um I, I I always believed I would play professional sport, whether it be a cricket or something else. That that was that was something that from the age of kind of twelve, thirteen, I remember saying to my parents, I was like, all I want to do is play sport. I want to play this as a as a for for a living. That's all I want to do. And mum and dad were incredibly supportive with that. And they said, Right, well, if you want to do that, you've got to put the work in. No one else is going to do that for you. And it's not just going to give it given get given to you on a plate. Um, and from day one, having that kind of, uh, certainly from my dad, that really solid advice and, and saying, right, well, you've got to put the work in and, and every now and then just giving a nudge when you need it um, is so key, um, certainly in those kind of early years. So it wasn't just cricket. It was, it was something. I, I kind of looked at various different sports. I played every sport mm. that I could. Um, and then cricket, probably, I realised probably around 14, 15, that actually, yeah, this is, um, this is what I want to pursue and this is my number one kind of thing. Um, I mean, actually, that kind of decision, now I think about it, that decision got taken away from me, really. Um, so I was playing in the A-team rugby at Dulwich College. Um, 
And my best friend at school is Jamie George, the England hooker. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was playing number eight. But um, I picked the ball. I was playing at nine and picked the ball up off a ruck, took it blindside, got spear tackled into our winger. Um, I held on to it probably for too long and and uh, got knocked out. That was it. Knocked out, woke up in the infirmary. That was it. Done. Um, pretty dazed. Dad was just looking at me going, well, that was silly, wasn't it? Um, and at this point, as I mentioned earlier, I was tiny. I was probably five foot two, um, nothing to me. So uh, I remember the next week, Kent were like, and I was on the Kent Academy, Cricket Academy at the time, and they turned around to me and said, right, that's, I think, rugby's done for you now. And I didn't play another game of rugby. That was it. So, um, so yeah, learned the hard way. And um, that, yeah, Kent straight away, I think that kind of sent a message to me myself going, right, okay. Kent, I need to kind of get my head down and and pursue cricket. Really, that's that's really really interesting, actually. <clears throat> and I, actually, it was nothing to do with your own decision making. Um, <laughs> but it is. I'm very thankful because uh, I definitely wasn't going to be playing in the same England rugby team as uh, as Jamie. That was, that was for sure. <laughs> well, fortunately, you know, you did pursue cricket because we, we you have now had and and still are having a magnificent. Uh, career both international and domestic captain of Kent of course magnificent you've had many performances in an England shirt and many more to come hopefully with a T20 World Cup win this year and of course you played in many of the biggest leagues in the world but where is your favorite place to play cricket then because you know a lot of the people that I do ask that to they go actually do you know what it was my favorite place was my my school cricket ground you know I know there are some amazing grounds that you've probably played on but where is your favorite place to play cricket it's a great question. I'm interested, actually, that so many people said their school ground or, or their club ground. But for me, I, I think it's everything that goes with it is playing cricket in India um, is just something that people can't get their head around if you haven't experienced it, either as a fan or as a player. Um, trying to explain to an English person in London or whatever um, that that doesn't really follow cricket and go, oh, I don't really like cricket. Um, no one kind of likes it. Well, 1.3 billion Indians absolutely adore it and worship cricket. Um, it's Harry Kane, if he walked down the street in India, people wouldn't have a clue who they are. But Josh Butler walks down there and he, and he gets absolutely mobbed. So it's putting into context is that actually cricket in India is just so much more than being a sport. It is a culture. It is, it is everything um, for people and um, the pandemonium that goes with it, whether it's in the IPL. Um, and, and that is actually to a different level. I mean, I had the huge honor and um, it was awesome playing with MS Dhoni as my captain of uh, Chennai and um, seeing his life, and seeing how he has to live day by day in terms of being cooped up in a hotel and literally cannot leave unless it's to go to training or, or, um, or a match. It's amazing. Uh, it's just, it's mind boggling really how people, people absolutely worship him. So it's, yeah, everything that goes with the IPL and, and, and Indian cricket, that for me is the best place to play cricket. I'm going to come on to actually um, uh, your Indian, your India experience 
because I imagine it's going to be starkly different, really, to when you actually do go back out there. But let's, uh, let me just have a look at um, your, your careers and performances, because as I was just previously mentioning, you've had some incredible performances on the pitch. What is your coping mechanism, though, to manage expectation now? Because when you do play, you have, of course, earned your place to be there because, as we said, you know, you've put in um, all, all the hard work to deliver those performances. But there is then still an expectation on you and then pressure on your shoulders to continue to deliver that. How do you kind of maintain that mindset yourself and how have you developed it over the years? Is there, is there an expectation? Well, an expectation to win. And you no, need- an ex- expectation to perform. I mean, is, is there? It's, I'm more chucking a question back at you in that I think a lot of the time it's created um, the media create this kind of perception and, and all this noise, whether it be positive or negative. And actually realizing, and the best person that I've ever seen kind of deal with this stuff is Owen Morgan, is actually the people that, that matter and that care, that's who he'll invest his time in and, and interest in into listening to those opinions and, and investing in those people. There's very few people, though, actually, because it's a lesson to all of us that actually... People are paid, and I've been very lucky to do some TV stuff and, and things like that. We're paid when you're in that position to make, have an opinion and provide insight to, to people sat at home who, who don't necessarily have or have experienced things that those people have. Um, but from a player's point of view, certainly with social media and stuff like that and i've learned the hard way is that actually a lot of what gets said on social media positively and negatively um doesn't actually matter it's actually forgotten over 24 hours anyway so it's bringing it back to yourself and actually what's important for yourself and the process in which you need to and who matters if if sarah my girlfriend turns around and says well why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that or or have an opinion on something, of course I'm going to care about that because she matters and she knows me better than anyone else. So uh, they're the opinions that matter, if that makes sense, and the expectation on that. Um, so it's a really interesting question. It's, it's how you deal with things yourself and, and put, putting things into perspective, if, perspective, if that makes sense. I've kind of waffled and... and got around the question a little bit, but I hope you can kind of understand. No, I, I, can, I can see where you're coming from. So I suppose that begs me to ask you the question, do you feel a pressure on yourself then as Kent Skipper? Because being a captain provides uh, more, not, okay, not, not, not to use the word expectation, but it gives you more responsibility, which could lead to expectation. I don't, I, again though, it, if you're results-based, if you're focusing purely on the results, of course, there's going to be an expectation. But actually, that's where your focus has to be on actually. I can't focus on that endpoint if I can't worry about today or tomorrow. There's steps to the process. Um, and it sounds so cliche, but I think expectation is a real, really interesting one. Because for me as a player, I put more pressure on myself than anyone else can put pressure on me. You, there's there's no amount of pressure you could put on me right now that I don't already put on myself. 
And so it's actually dealing with that is far more important for me than actually anything else that anyone else worries about. Um, so I, I think that's just so natural as a, as a sportsman at the top level, everyone, um, that's their biggest enemy is themselves and putting too much pressure on themselves is certainly the thing that actually trips most people up. And certainly that's one thing I'm, I'm kind of learning to kind of work through, I suppose. So when did that shift come for you then? As in, when were you able to, you know, I suppose, I don't want to say it's like some sort of epiphany, but, you know, where you made that conscious acknowledgement that actually these things are outside my head. These are just voices of other people. They don't actually necessarily mean anything. That, as you say, they're often there being paid to say that that's the only reason they're saying it. They wouldn't necessarily mean it, but they're being paid to say it. Absolutely. Um, Look, the injury was a huge turning point for me. It put everything in perspective because you go from um, being in one of the most successful franchises on the planet in Chennai, flying home, um, coming back to try and play some cricket for Kent to, to get in the World Cup squad and looking forward to the World Cup and being in a squad that is so much hopeful. Um, that whole process, all of a sudden you go from kind of playing at this top level being injured and there's nothing like what what did i i was getting up every morning and sitting with an ice machine for five hours on my own on the sofa and just like there was no purpose to my day what was i doing all of a sudden and we we speak about it so much um so many different cricketers or sportsmen as well go from being i mean freddie flintoff's been very public with kind of his struggles. Um, he's gone from Freddie Flintoff to then having a few dark years after retiring because he was Freddie Flintoff, the cricketer, and you you kind of invest so much into the cricketer as opposed to the kind of human being. So, yeah, it's that was a huge process for me is realising that actually what matters um, for you as a person and actually what's really important um, in your life generally and like I said just having some perspective like how well I do on a cricket pitch doesn't have any sort of resemblance to me as a human being they're two completely different things and I think the media um, creates this thing is that actually the better the sportsman the better the person um, is completely they're two completely different different things I mean, without wanting to kind of bring back any particular... Getting quite deep. <laughs> without, yeah, without wanting to bring back any no, particular I, yeah. memories of your, um, of your in time and injury and stuff. And yeah, but you talk, I know that you spent a lot of time in rehab and, and you know, getting back to full, full um, playing health. But c- c- can you remember your, your worst day? There was, there was quite a few, if I'm honest. And it was, it was the best experience that I've had um as a bloke but also as a cricketer as well um because again it's everyone has highs but actually it's you learn the most when when actually you're at your lowest i think and also failing um so for me that was that changed my perception of, of a lot of things as well in that from a sporting context uh, being captain, as you mentioned before, is that actually the guys who are injured, my 
level of awareness for those guys now has gone through the roof compared to what I used to. I'd never been injured before. I'd never had a ser- serious injury. So I'd never experienced, okay, not having any cricket and every single day going to rehab. A lot of it's on your own. A lot of it's just you and the physio. Uh, no teammates around. And we said one of the biggest things, one of the best things, the best thing is playing cricket and enjoying your time with your mates. Well, all of that goes out the window. You're, you feel like a bit of an exile because you're on the edge and everyone's over there playing and winning and everything's kind of going great. But actually, you're the one just rehabbing away with the physio, like I said. And you, you feel isolated, absolutely. And um, look, we had a guy or a couple of guys at, at Kent that had gone through serious back injuries. And I, I had a really good chat with a couple of them just saying, I really apologise. Like, I could have done so much more as a teammate um and as a kind of colleague as a, as a mate um when you were injured and and do so much more for those kind of people and support those people because that's the toughest thing um certainly for a sportsman is when people are injured and someone like mark wood I, i've got huge admiration for him like constantly um constantly getting knocked back to, due to injury and and pace bowlers generally how they keep coming back and and then all the work that goes in not many people see that work that goes in behind the scenes. And um, yeah, like I said, I have huge admiration for anyone who's been injured for a decent amount of time um, because yeah, my understanding has definitely been better for that. And uh, as captain, that's, that's huge as well. That experience helped. So now that you are captain at Kent uh, then, and and have been for a number of years, um, do you feel then, having gone through it yourself, you now feel a personal responsibility, not just an institutional responsibility from the Kent, you know, the dressing room, but you now feel personally like you knew the struggles that you were going through and you feel obliged now almost to reach out and, and, and lend that hand because it's probably what you would have, I'm sure people were doing it to you, but just, you know, almost not enough uh, to an extent that you do need that, that um, an ear to listen or, or a shoulder to, to kind of lean on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everyone needs it whether um doesn't matter kind of what personality you are at some point you need someone to kind of just put their arm around you and just say mate it's going to be all right just keep trudging away and offer that support and um like i said is trying to also keep those guys involved when Mm. when they're when they're on the fringes when they're on their own the whole time um that's a huge huge element because that is that's the one thing that all, every ex player always says they miss the miss the most is the is the changing room and and just the team team vibe i suppose so um yeah trying to keep those guys involved is is a huge thing for me so where did you draw your motivation from then to to get through those that those days through through injury because of course your motivation is to get back in the team, get back to full full potential. But wh- where were you drawing this from? You know, because it's very difficult, as you say, if you're in a in a place of isolation, mentally, uh, but physically as well, away from your your teammates and your friends. Yeah, I think it comes down to even I, this is even kind of years before. Is even as a kid, kind of. You get knocked back. You don't get picked for this team. You don't get picked for that team or whatever. But actually, it's how you react to these things um, and and looking at the positive out of every kind of situation and realizing, okay, I'm not there yet, but I will get there. And what do I need to do to move forward? Um, 
that's that's the biggest thing for me is is keeping things kind of in perspective and um yeah it came from inside i i want to be playing for england i want to be winning world cups with england um yeah with with most of those guys are really good mates of mine as well that i've kind of grown up playing cricket with so of course you want to kind of be sharing those moments but um that kind of drove me on. It was, it's no surprise that actually the following year, which was obviously this last year has been my best in an England shirt because actually it's drawing on that motivation of, okay, yeah, I've missed out, but I'm going to make this count. And this is an opportunity that I won't kind of take for granted. And that's, that's something that I've always kind of, that's the approach I've had. Um, but really kind of, enjoy that and like I said just not take it for granted and and it's really kind of spurred me on to work hard consistently day after day it's not just going to happen in in one kind of big effort um it's got to be a consistent approach over time well as we can see the work has paid off with the um being in the ODI Wisdom ODI team of the year and the only Englishman to be in it which is fab um so of course though the last 12 months themselves have also been strange not only of course, from personal success, but just in, in just peculiar and strange circumstances, which leads me back to going back out to India. And you just, you, you know, you previously mentioned how, how much you love playing cricket in India. And I imagine that the crowd is a massive part of that. But you're going to be out there and there will be no crowd. So how, how different is that going to be as an experience for you now, knowing that you don't have that, you know, as you say, almost an entire nation screaming at, behind your backs, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um... Look, it has been really strange playing with no crowds over the last year. And then I've just recently got back from the Big Bash where we, we were allowed crowds. It was just great. And the, and the biggest thing, the biggest positive out of that is seeing so many kids, certainly in the Big Bash. I used to be that kid going to games, looking at, looking at these players and going, right, that's what I want to do one day. And actually doing doing that that's that's why we play the sport is to kind of inspire that next generation as well so um yeah hopefully i i think the second test which is obviously a couple of days away is that well tomorrow sorry um they're gonna have 25 percent or 50 percent crowds in to that so fingers crossed by the time we get out there um it can be can be full crowds so yeah it, it'll be great to get so many people back um Back to back into the grounds and, and to sporting venues because sport provides so much for so many people and and yeah we've seen that throughout lockdown when when things have been on the TV um, I think it's provided some really good kind of respite for a lot of people. I, I want to ask you how you've coped over the past twelve months and and in that bubble life, but I feel like maybe I should really be pitching the question to Sarah and see how she's coped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. She. Um, Oh, she's a hero. She, I, a little bit of background for her as well. And I think this is one of the things that I'm incredibly lucky um, to be with her, actually, is that um, she got a tennis scholarship for university to LA. Um, so, I mean, I don't play, play her at tennis because it's embarrassing. Because so, you can't win. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's infuriating. And I, I used to play decent level tennis, but geez, oh, just embarrassing. Table tennis, I've got it covered, but. Real tennis, no, no chance. So um, I think for her having that understanding, she's so supportive 
in that she understands that I've got to do it consistently day after day and it has to be a priority. Um, that is huge to have that kind of support from your partner and, um, yeah, something I'm very thankful for. Um, and that's another lucky thing that I suppose the girls, the England girls get on so well. They've got WhatsApp groups or whatever. And a lot of the girls are really good friends of some of her best friends, um, of Sarah and they kind of very lucky to have that group. So they all support each other when the boys are away. And, um, that's huge. I, I think is kind of having, having other people that, like we said before to lean on. Um, yeah, because it must be really tough, certainly, um, certainly for the girls when we are away for kind of long stretches. Well, hopefully there won't be too much bubble life um, in the future, but we, we don't know how, how it's going to go. I mean, as we kind of wind down then, I'm curious to ask you, what, what are your, your aims then in that short-term, middle-term, long-term approach then for the rest of your career? And then we'll look on elsewhere after. Not that you probably want to be thinking about that at the moment. <laughs> um. Look, my main focus at the moment is is performing for England, um, is being in that squad, being around that squad at the moment is fantastic. But like I said, is cementing my my spot in that middle order, um, being kind of that match winner at five or six um, to to get England cross games to win win games for England. That's that's my main aim in in the short term, essentially for India, and then then on to the World Cup. So. I want to win a World Cup. Um, like I, I, as I mentioned before, I was incredibly pleased um, as a fan, but also as mates of those boys winning at Lords. I was doing the Sky stuff actually that day, um, so I had an unbelievable view of the whole game against New Zealand at Lords, and incredibly lucky. But um, I, yeah, I want to be involved in a, in a in a victorious World Cup. I was in the squad for the 2020 World Cup last time in India when Carlos Brathwaite. Um, kind of had that unbelievable performance. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I want a World Cup winner's medal. And um, yeah, and to be performing in a World Cup would be would be awesome for England. So that's definitely an aim of mine. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I, I want to play test cricket, whether that's kind of in the recent, in the in the near future or or maybe a bit longer term. Um, that's certainly if if I can kind of, carve out time to really invest in that that format of the game um that would be that would be something that i'd really be keen to do and and something that's very close to my heart actually is, is to win silverware for kent um it's been too long that we we've we've been close we we obviously got to the final three four years ago uh the 50 over final at lords um but getting across the line for kent and, and winning something um for my boyhood club would be would be extra special as well. That that would mean a lot for me. So um yeah, a couple of couple of aims, all team team orientated because for me in the role that I play generally, um I I I will probably never be the top run scorer in a tournament because I don't bat in the top three in, in white ball formats. But for me is is how many games I can win for whatever team I play for because of the role I play, that's the most important thing. And um, sometimes that's where numbers, that's why numbers don't necessarily mean a lot to me. Of course, they mean um, you, you get judged on them, of course, but actually the role I play a 15 off four balls or five balls might make the difference in a, in a game of cricket. 
Um, and you're not going to be averaging 85 or 90 or whatever in the tournament, if that makes sense. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's quite hard to quantify um, my kind of individual aims, I suppose. Well, let's, let's, let's look at individual though, because it does boil down to life after cricket. And I suppose it always has to be a thought, um, you know, because uh, as unfortunate is to say a cricket player's career is finite. Uh, and so there's, there's opportunities thereafter. What have you uh, had any other thoughts? Of course, you said you've, you've dabbled in, uh, you've dabbled in broadcasting, uh, and those things. Uh, and clearly we like to talk. So that's always, an option. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I chat absolute rubbish, don't I? So, um, it's a really interesting one because I went to university. Um, so have somehow got a degree behind me as well. What which, is it? Which sports science and business management from Loughborough. So, uh, yeah, that was that was kind of where my opportunity first came from cricket, playing first class cricket um, at university. So, um, at the time, that was the best option for me is to study and, and play cricket at the same time. But um, I mean, life after cricket, like you said, I'd like to I'd like to keep on uh, experimenting with the broadcasting side of things. Um, certainly, get to a level where hopefully I can I can be good enough. At that would be would be interesting to pursue maybe for a short period. Um, but I, I'm I love being at home. I love being we we're farming we're farmers farming family back in Kent. So I love being being down on the farm and being out in the fresh air and, and stuff like that. So um, I don't I think my cousins and my family will laugh at me saying I'd want to be a farmer because I wouldn't be cut out for that. But certainly the family business and being involved in that. Um, would be would be something I'd I'd love to get into as well. Um, so, who knows? It's it's like you said, it's a it's a long way off. Um, Definitely, long way off. So, plenty of time to think about it. <laughs> plenty of time. Okay, Sam. I ask this question to every guest that comes on the podcast. Uh, what does the word headstrong mean to you? Headstrong means um, being very assured in your own mindset and mentality and approach to things. Very nice. Wonderful. Well, look, there we go. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I asked yeah. for. Everyone, everyone, I hope everyone's, that's version, adequate. <laughs> everyone's version and opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And every, everyone provides a different answer. And I always am intrigued to hear what people say, because many people have misconceptions or preconceptions of what it might mean and, and it surrounding certain negative connotations. But on, on the flip side, in association with this podcast, I think it's, it, it's quite the opposite. And as you say, it boils down to something very different. Um, so yeah, definitely. Uh, look, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. And, uh, look, wishing you all the best when we, when this does come out, we'll know a result. So we'll, I won't hold you to it, but yeah, <laughs> that's all good. Thanks yeah, so I, much. I, I hope we've run the series and I'm proven completely wrong, but, um, yeah, fingers crossed. Thanks a lot for having me. We are supporting the Ruth Strauss foundation with headstrong and innings with Sir Andrew Strauss lost his wife to non-smoking lung cancer in 2018. Just before her death, Ruth and Andrew discussed the idea of setting up a foundation to help other families who would be facing a similar ordeal. The Ruth Strauss Foundation wants to ensure that all families with dependent children facing the death of a parent are offered emotional support and guidance to prepare for the future, allowing them 
to make the most of their time together. In tandem, they are driving the need for more research and collaboration in the fight against non-smoking lung cancers, which are on the rise and to which Ruth ultimately lost her life. You can support their cause by making a donation today. To donate, text RSF10 to 70191 to donate £10. Or you can donate online at virginmoneygiving.com forward slash fund forward slash headstrong forward slash RSF. Thank you for all your support of Headstrong and the Ruth Strauss Foundation. And that's it for this episode of Headstrong. Thank you very, very much to Sam Billings for joining me on this episode of the podcast. I'd like to wish him the very best of luck in the England Test Squad, and I really hope that he can secure his place in this team for the future. I think he's an amazing person, very kind and very generous with a great mentality for the game. If you would like to donate to the Ruth Strauss Foundation, please text RSF10 to 70191. Every single donation helps. If you enjoyed this episode, please do pass the podcast on to your family and your friends or your cricket team, whoever you think it may help or indeed who might enjoy the podcast. If you also did enjoy it, please do subscribe, rate and leave a review. That really helps me. Until next time, though, I will see you next week for another episode of Headstrong. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.